It's the best of 2022 edition of the Relevant Podcast. Here in Orlando, I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and it's just me and you today, everybody. (laughs) The cast is off for the holidays. Um, This is the episode where we look back at the year of podcasts that we put out and bring to you some of our favorite moments. Uh, We had some amazing guests this year, and coming up on this edition, you're going to hear some of those highlights. We have everybody from John Favreau to MIA to Lecrae, to Ryan Reynolds, to Christine Kane, uh, Naomi Rain, Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's crazy, the, the lineup on this episode. And it was an amazing year of podcasting. We crossed our thousandth episode this fall. Um, we've been podcasting since August of 2005, back when there was only about three podcasts that existed. We were one of them. And uh, we've been going every week ever since. And now, you know, obviously twice a week. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. We have, well, I'll tell you more about what we have in store for 2023 later in the show. Oh, and also, don't don't miss it. My favorite thing we do all year happens at the very end of this episode. So don't miss that. Well, back on episode 932, back in January, we had Denzel Washington, the legend. He was on uh, talking about his new movie, Dear Jordan. And in the conversation, we asked him about his faith and how his faith impacted the way he told that story. Here's what he said. Didn't always know how it was, but always started the day with prayer. There's all kinds of little miracles that you run into that you didn't anticipate. You know, really, if you have faith, then have faith. It's easy to say, harder to do. And you and you do forget, you know, but uh, just being thankful and having an attitude of gratitude, as they say. Obviously, there's there's when you tell a true story there there may be some liberties that you need to take for uh, just in terms of making a movie but was there anything from the story that you knew you had to maintain that was core to the story that was sort of a a principle that you couldn't let go of no matter what else what you had to take freedom with editorially a movie will tell you what it doesn't want you know it, it, we cut some scenes earlier in the movie which actually made Dana feel stronger and more aggressive hmm right from the start she's like not taking any nonsense and then here's just some guy who could care less <laughs> like, yeah, okay. yeah, I can drop you off you know you know and you see her seeing him one of my favorite shots in the movie is just her in the car and she just kind of looks side like who yeah. is this dude and yeah. then when she's looking away then he looks back you go here we go and we take our time you know, in this fast food society, you know, it's, it's old fashioned in a sense. And, and you have to invest in that to, to feel what you feel. If you're on 
IG, you know our, our the next guest we're bringing. Kev on stage. He's one of my favorite comedians to follow. Uh, hilarious comic. Uh, well, this year he became an author. He and his wife, Melissa Fredericks, uh, wrote a book called Marriage Be Hard. And they joined us on episode 1010. So not that long ago, just in uh, back in October. Uh, here's what they had to say about why they wrote the book. I mean, I think we're writing about marriage because we love being married. We're we're happily married, but we wish we had this book to read when we were first married. Uh, when we were first married, we felt like everybody else was not struggling like we were. We're struggling. We're talking to people at our church. Hey, man, that was there. Oh, wow, marriage is great. It's perfect. We kiss each other in the mouth every day. <laughs> and we're like, man, this is crazy because me and Melissa going through a thing or two. And then lo and behold, four or five years later, a lot of these same people are getting divorced and there was mm. no signs. It was just, it's mm. perfect. And now we're divorced. Like, how y'all, what happened to all? It was, it was perfect and reconcilable differences. I mean, you, you done try to work it out. And you couldn't. So we feel like we, we wanted people to have a, a realistic and authentic look at what it takes to make a marriage that seems like its goals actually work, you know? If I can throw in one more analogy, it's like we had all the recipe, I mean, all the ingredients for a cake and access to an oven, but no, how many eggs of these 12, how much salt, how much sugar, how long should you bake it? What, what do you do? How much butter? And we wanted to write that recipe so people could see how to make things work, see themselves in a marriage. Sometimes a, a great step forward in your marriage is just seeing that you're not alone. Somebody else has felt this way. Somebody else has the same dynamic and they've worked through it. Well, as you know, throughout the years, we've had a big part of our show is having great artists and music on the show. Um, back before COVID, when we had a big studio in downtown Orlando, we uh, would have bands come through and, and record and we'd film it and put it online. And it was an amazing thing we got to do. Now that we're fully remote, at least for this season that we're remote, uh, we don't get the live performance thing, but we do have, we have had some amazing uh, bands and artists join us this year. One of our favorites was Johnny Swim. They joined us back in April for episode 959. And here they're talking about like getting back out on the road and, you know, kind of after COVID, what it's like to, to be with people again, what their hopes are for people that come to their shows and the power that music plays in our lives. Here's Johnny Swift. start simple it's been glorious man we're getting our sea legs under us being on tour again you know it used to be automatic we've done it so much for so many years we've toured we used to tour 300 days a year uh we've been on the road for 15 years adjusting for covid 15 years really 13 years because two years we didn't do anything and it was uh it took more tonight's show six i believe or seven six six mm -hmm. and it's taken a little more time to get used to kind of the energy the attention the show we like to put on isn't one where we just perform the songs for folks. We really hope that one level of it feels like community and, and that genuinely another level of it feels like communion. 
where it feels like we're gathering around something greater than what's happening on stage or in the audience, that there's something else present in the room with us. That's truly the goal of a Johnny Swim show. And, uh, man, that takes a lot of energy. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. But even just mental, like, focus. That we're not just playing the songs, not just trying to sing pretty. Let's really have something that could honestly change a life. Let's experience something awesome. hope and believe that people can walk into a Johnny Swim show and walk out a little bit more excited about the next day. A little more brave, a little more hopeful, a little more in love, feeling more loved, feeling seen. Growing up playing music, Amanda growing up in an iconic household of musicians, uh, us both growing up in church. There's something powerful, man, when people open their mouths to sing something, not just because the words sound cool, but because they, in their own lives, they've lived lives with these songs. Folks that come to Johnny Swim shows, most of them have stories with why a particular song connects with them. We all do, with all the bands we love. Whether it was a moment in time, a, a tragedy that a song helped you through, or a joyous occasion, or whatever. There, I really, I think it's significant what happens. I don't know, I don't know what language to use for this either. I just know that there is so much potential in the room when we get together and we start singing songs. And we activate, we have a, a conscious, at least us on stage, there's an active consciousness that this could help somebody. Mm -hmm. Somebody could be better off for being here. Mm -hmm. I think, but I think on a practical, like practically speaking, because it's not like we've ever had like a hit. It's not like yeah. we've ever had like, oh yeah, these are the hits, you know, these are the ones that everybody comes. Like when we put out a tweet before an Instagram poll, like what do people want to hear on tour? The answers are all over the Every place. Like song. putting together a set list. It's not like there. I mean, there's a few things that we always play, but like, there's not like clear, like, Oh, we have to do this. These are the clear winners, you know? Um, and so it keeps us like a flexible and it's awesome for us, you know, cause we don't, we don't feel like tied down to like a specific set list or a thing that we have to do. And it also keeps us open and keeps our ears open. We're, we're watching the crowd. We're trying to see what, what the room feels like, what the energy's like. We're changing things on the fly. And I think probably a lot of people do do that. But I think because we've never had, you know, we, because we've never had like, quote unquote, hits, we've we've really like made that part of our everyday experience of playing shows, you know, is, you know, being sensitive to the room, I think. We can get it back together. Back in February on episode 946, we were joined by Hollywood star Channing Tatum. He had a he had a, uh, a movie coming out back then called Dog, where he played an army ranger and he had a service dog, and um, it was just a very heartwarming story. I, a little little uh, behind the scenes, um, after Channing was on the podcast, the studio sent some of us uh, promo boxes for the movie and in the box was a heart-shaped pillow with Channing Tatum's face on it 
and my son has that in his bedroom because he thinks it's hilarious. So Channing Tatum is part of my home now. Uh, here he was on episode 946 talking about Dog and why he was drawn to that story. You know, we it's hard enough finding that first story to direct for yourself, much less with two people that feel as connected and as, um, I don't know, you want to always direct something that you know and something that we both know really intimately. And this was just the story. I had a personal re- connection to it and Reed knew Lulu from, from the almost the very first day that I had her. So it was, you know, it's just a, it's a long, it's a long journey. And, and like this one, we really felt like we, we knew really well. We'd had a connection with like servicemen and women um, and this very specific small group of soldiers that, that are really hard to crack. And we wanted to like show that, that culture to the world. She's never slept in a nice bed before. There ain't no shame in wanting a big comfy mattress. I was hoping you might have a room for me and my little girl. Is that a purple heart? Was she wounded? Uh, yes, she, she was. Thank you for your service. These are really good friends. Clearly, they've worked on tons of films together. So talking with them was really fun, and I really enjoyed it. But right away, they just started cracking jokes and having a huge laugh. And, you know, Channing in particular, I feel, has built a bit of a reputation for being very funny and charming. So I loved getting to witness that firsthand. You know, plus, it's always a fun conversation when you don't quite know what's going to come out of someone's mouth. Uh, and I probably should have known better when I asked what was the most surprising part of working on the film. And they sort of side eyed each other before they both immediately started laughing. Uh, they shared that, you know, obviously creating a film during COVID was definitely a new challenge for them. But the biggest surprise turned out to be the other star of the movies, the three dogs that took turns playing Lulu. And as they explained in a little bit of a shocking detail, uh, there were definitely some unforeseen challenges that made shooting the film a surprising but very memorable experience. Making a movie <laughs> that, we were, that they let us. Yeah. That they let us make a movie. Uh, we were like, it's true. <laughs> who was dumb Wait, enough to do this? They let us have yeah. all the control? We found the dumbest people in the industry <laughs> to give us money to make a movie. <laughs> no. We're really good at finding stupid people. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that like the, the every day was a surprise. I mean, really, it was really was the dogs that kind of every day would throw you for a loop. Like they do something and you go, oh, my gosh, we had this plan. It's not going to work out. We got to adapt to do something new. The surprise. I never thought that I would have I was going to have to deal with like a dog in heat. That was uh, <laughs> that was actually like really messing up the day because we, we lost essentially two dogs that were in heat because all three of our dogs for, and, and like what if we didn't have three dogs by the yeah, way yeah it's so true and and like, and like terrible and if it was what if it was Lana that wasn't like yeah. Lana Lana 5 we had three dogs Britta uh, Zuza and, and Lana 5 Lana was our like really small dog that we only used like during certain things that she could do things that the other dogs couldn't do and but she didn't look like the size of the other dogs and even kind of in the face like you she was like a stunt dog and our, our Lana Five and Britta, our main hero dog, went into heat, and we had to we had to do the Ethan uh, Suplees like like scenes in the movie where he had a dog named Nuke. Putting them in a scene together was not possible. Like it, they just it was it turned into chaos, like straight chaos. And so we only had one dog left to like <laughs> to do this scene. Otherwise, we would not have a movie. <laughs>
Well, on episode 945 in February, we were joined by one of my heroes, my personal heroes, Bob Goff. He had a new book come out called Undistracted, and Bob is just so wise. I mean, this man, some people think of him as kind of like a mixture of Jesus and Santa Claus. I mean, he ran an incredibly successful law firm for decades. Uh, He's a brilliant thinker. He's not just whimsical and, you know, balloons and all that stuff. The man is brilliant. And when he's talking about undistracted, we asked him, like, what does distraction look like in your own life? And like, what did, what did you do about it? And here's what he had to say. Oh yeah, man. Like I take an Enneagram seven, uh-huh. you know, I'm just yeah. flaming, like just go, 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 go. Yeah. And we live distracted. That is just Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But I think you could be enthusiastic about what's going on around you. And at the same time, kind of understand what's going on inside of you. And so sometimes we get either so whacked out about the things going on around that uh, helicopter tragedy. Um, was it a year or two ago um, that the pilot uh, got distracted by what was going on around yeah. him and he forgot what was going on inside the cockpit? And so maybe thinking of that for you and I to say, like, if you're so distracted by what color somebody's hat is or how they express their faith or what their position is and everybody's in everybody's grill about stuff that you could be distracted by coming up with a worldview that this is not a safe place. Um, Uh And so I don't want to feel rejection. And so what I'll rather do is fake it. And then we become caricatures. If I'm always Bob, the balloon guy, uh, because that's what everybody's expecting. And then they don't get to know like a deeply introspective person too. Um, so we can have these two personas going on. There's the person that your loved ones know, and then there's the person that strangers know. And what I want to do is like kind of sync those up or understand what's going on and why, like, why is, what's that connected to? It's just a really fair question to ask yourself. Do you think that given things like our phones and social media, Wi-Fi being everywhere, is it easier to get distracted now than it used to be? Or does getting distracted just look a little different now than it used to for people? Oh, yeah. Like uh, everybody, like people are uh, not just somebody that's like in the crosshairs, but if you're adjacent to the person in the crosshairs, then all of a sudden you're like, you catch catch a stray. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and so what you can do is walk around really afraid uh, rather than walking around really engaged. Like your head's on a swivel looking for an opportunity versus being head on a swivel looking for a problem. Season four of The Chosen is in theaters now and the reviews that count are in. Amazing. Did not disappoint. Flurry of emotions. It was powerful, heartbreaking, uplifting. You have got to come and see it. It is a message for everybody. I highly recommend that you come out and see The Chosen Season 4. Episodes 1 through 3 of The Chosen Season 4 are in theaters till February 14th. So visit thechosenriseup.com and get your tickets now. That's thechosenriseup.com for tickets today. Well, it's not every day that we get to have an EGOT winner on the show. And uh, 
back in January on episode 938. Uh, if he wins the, if he wins an Oscar here in a few weeks, uh, Lin Manuel Miranda will be an EGOT winner and probably the first on the Relevant Podcast. He had a new musical come out around then called Tick Tick Boom, and he he was putting out a ton of stuff. I mean, he was like put he was writing music for Pixar films. He put out Tick Tick Boom. He was just like literally the man was working 24 hours a day it seemed like and that's what we I wanted to talk to him about like how how like how does he put so much out at one time and and about and we wanted to talk about like how he gets to do what he loves and and what a gift that is here is Lynn Manuel Miranda back from episode 938 I have an original rock musical hey boy genius that I've spent the last eight years of my life writing he's getting out you're gonna be rich and famous and rewriting did you crack it yet? Oh, I'm getting so close. I'm rewriting. Can I hear it? Any day now. Eight years! And the time keeps ticking. So I was very excited to, obviously, to get to talk to somebody as well-known and as beloved as Lin-Manuel Miranda. Obviously, I'm a huge fan, and uh, and this is not the sort of interview that comes along for anybody every day. And before I saw Tick, Tick, Boom, uh, I really thought that the conversation that we would have would be about you know the challenges of going from directing theater and writing music to handling something like a film. But after I saw it, uh, I realized that he had really taken to that very easily and, and navigated that very well. It didn't seem to be very difficult for him. And I was much more interested in the similar themes between Tick, Tick, Boom and Hamilton and the the creative struggle, which seems to be central to so much of his work so far and, and what that's been like for him and, and how much that's resonated with so many artists who see the things that he's putting on stage and on screen and feel that tension very deeply in them, which he obviously is, is pretty much, I would say, obsessed with. So I wanted to see if he felt that same way. And he very much did. And here's what he had to say about it. Yeah, I think the hardest and most important thing we can do as artists is connect to the original impulse that got us doing this in the first place. And um, I'm not a great multitasker, but I found myself having to multitask a great amount because the pandemic sort of squished all my projects into the same time frame. And something that I found that was really helpful, well, first of all, it was very easy to connect to that original impulse working on Tick, Tick, Boom every day because Jonathan Larson is the artist that made me want to write musicals in the first place. I don't think it's an accident that Alexander Hamilton, or my Alexander Hamilton and Jonathan Larson share that same DNA of writing like you're running out of time. Um, that's his direct effect on my work and the things that seep into my work. Going from A-lister to A-lister to A-lister to A-lister, goodness gracious. Uh, in episode 952 in late March, Ryan Reynolds joined us. Well, I mean, probably the biggest movie star in the world right now, maybe. Maybe him and The Rock would be in, in the running. He had a project called The Adam Project come out around then. And uh, we got talking about how these are the kinds of stories he wants to tell moving forward. Here's Ryan Reynolds. He knew how to get in my dad's garage. <laughs> You knew how close the fridge 
We have the same scar. Right here. And you're wearing my dad's watch. This watch. It's for me. So I was obviously super excited to talk to Ryan Reynolds for a lot of reasons. It's always fun to talk to to guys like this, but I was especially interested after I saw The Adam Project, his new movie with Netflix. And uh, it really, to me, seemed like a very different role for Ryan. It seemed like a different kind of movie than we've tend to see him in something that's a little more sincere and, and has a little more of a heart to it than just sort of the, the the snappy, mischievous rascal that he plays in most movies. So the first thing I wanted to know is what about the script appealed to him and if he saw this as sort of a divergence from his usual lane. And he seemed to think that it did. Uh, you know, the last few years, you know, have kind of been more about movies really entering that kind of escapism realm and 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 places that you know evoke a kind of a, a f- feeling that really just sort of takes us away and transports us. I mean, like you know, getting to do Free Guy with Sean Levy, uh, who's also my co-producer on that, and and the Adam Project. For us, it's kind of uniquely about a feeling, like creating a feeling of joy, or you know, in the case of Adam Project, really kind of creating that feeling of nostalgia and warmth. You know, the kinds of movies that we grew up watching. You know, they were movies that had contained enormous spectacle and wish fulfillment. You know, huge adventure and action and comedy, but weren't afraid to sort of you know punch you right in the heart. They weren't afraid to kind of go right for an emotional kind of spine that that the movie possesses that really sort of stays with you in 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 very real ways i mean l- growing up watching these movies over and over again et and back to the future and goonies and stand by me and you know these are all movies that meant so much to me as a kid um you know and that we wanted to sort of infuse as much of that feeling uh, that we got from those movies into this time travel exists this world, our world, everything has already been changed. That's why we're going to put the genie back in the bottle. Adam? Dad. Ryan is a dad. He and Blake have a couple of kids. And I was interested, since this movie is so much about fathers and sons and and kids' relationships with their parents and adult children's uh, relationship with their parents, uh, I was interested if his his relationship with his kids and uh, and his relationship with his father, who passed away somewhat recently, how that impacted his, uh, how he approached the performance here. Well, you know, the biggest pass we did on the screen was uh, myself and Jonathan Tropper and Sean Levy just kind of squirreling ourselves away in New York at, at my house and just, you know, really kind of putting our own real life experiences into the movie. So that naturally lent itself to a real life vulnerability for me, which, I, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm not as adverse to when I was younger. It's like, you know, humor always worked as a self-defense mechanism. In this movie, it really works as an illusion. You know, that thing that you think is kind of keeping you safe and distant and separate from everybody else's actually actually not. And, you know, so I end up leaning right into the emotion of it. And, you know, for me, it was an incredibly vulnerable uh, performance because it really hit home for me so much about what we're talking about, about my relationship with my own father in real life, who's now passed, uh, is right on the screen there with uh, Mark Ruffalo's character. So... In May, we got to have another one of my heroes on the show, Christine Kane. 
um, episode 965. Um, I, I don't know if y'all know this, but we have an advisory board, executive board, irrelevant um, of like leaders who really walk with us and speak into us and uh, our team and everything and kind of provide some covering for us. Uh, we've been doing that for the last few years. Christine was one of the first ones to sign up. She has walked with us through hard seasons and uh, really uh, helped, really helped. She's an amazing, amazing woman of God, amazing leader. In May, we got talking to her about spiritual disciplines and uh, Tyler asked her why spiritual disciplines are so important and what you would say to someone who thinks they aren't. Here's what Christine Kane had to say about that. The number of people that that think, you know, being in the Word of God is optional. It's sort of like, you know, they almost roll their eyes, been there, done that. What difference has the Bible made except for cause wars and injustice? And, you know, sure. and you just go, wow. Um, I don't know. Mama Chris is going at 55, honey. It's, it's It speaks life and hope. I could not... Um, I could not speak powerfully enough about how it was it was my saving grace, man. It was my saving grace. And and I'm a great lover of having the word read to me through apps as well. I just I just love that. So mm-hmm. I think being in the word in whatever way um you can staying connected to Jesus through prayer. Um our basic spiritual disciplines that we're all talking about. Sure. You know, if I start talking about fasting, people are going to freak out. We have a, a generation, fasting is sort of like, okay, I might skip coffee at lunch. Okay, I get that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And But, but you know, fasting normally really is about food and it really would be good to uh, to somewhere go, okay, how do I discipline my body in a way that will connect yeah. me to uh, Jesus at a deeper level? And it's really by denying our flesh. I mean, it's all the non-trendy stuff, man. So how's this for a relevant podcast? It's denying ourselves. Uh-huh. It's crucifying uh-huh. our flesh. It's taking up your cross and following Jesus. And, you know, we tend to think, man, if Chris Kane is saying that, that's just like legalistic. And I'm like, honey, when did obedience become legalism? That They're two different things. And you can be obedient and be full of life because you truly believe that God is good. What God has for you is good and He's drawing you to His goodness. And truly, our our spiritual practices form us and shape us and bring us into greater intimacy with Jesus. So they do one of two things. They often can help us from drifting or if we start drifting, they help us realize we are drifting. Chapter 2 says, you know, pay extra attention. In, in Greek, perisotros prosochin, pay extra attention lest we drift from so great a salvation. And the truth is, um, I'm watching the drift left, right and center. I'm watching a generation drift and I'm watching us confuse, um, you know, because we've seen uh, either systemic injustice, uh, church abuses, um, leadership failures, all very valid. Absolutely. But that's not Jesus that has failed. That is not Jesus that is systemically abusive. That is not, uh, Jesus is not racist. Jesus is not misogynistic. Jesus is not sexist. Um, You know, Jesus loves the poor. Jesus loves the marginalized. So what we have done is, um, I think, because we've reacted to systems, structures, institutions, people that have not necessarily been faithful or loyal, uh, we've just taken that and just mm-hmm. thrown the baby out with the bathwater and said, sure. you know what? Bible sure. mustn't be real. Church mustn't be real. Um, prayer sucks. Reading the Bible, you know, um, why would you fast? And uh, and we've looked to, but, but the only thing we've done is 
we've replaced those practices with other practices and those practices could be cancelling people on social media, yelling at people out there or, mm-hmm. you know, sitting in the pub instead of going to church and just having another wine and just going, this is cool, this is, you know, I don't know. Um, it, it's like we are we will practice something. So my thing is you can either practice your spiritual yeah. disciplines that are going to bring you closer to Jesus or you will practice something else. You will, well, I don't know, you might mm-hmm. watch Netflix every night. I, I don't know what you're going to do, but you're uh-huh. going to have another practice um, and those practices will form you and they will shape you and they'll either take you closer to Jesus or draw you away from Jesus. And, um, you know, I just I just hate to see people throw the baby out with the bathwater because um, – some things are wrong, 100% categorically, but Jesus is not wrong. What would you, I'm curious what you would say to to a person who feels like they are doing these things. Like I go to church, I read the Bible, I do pray, but I still don't feel like I have that passion and that direction that I used to have maybe when I was a younger believer. Um, what I think that happens. We hear those stories. We probably felt it in our own lives. What's what? Where where are we missing there? What what's going wrong? Yeah, and I love that question because that that is so valid. And I think part of that uh, might have been where where I was in you know 2016. There was part of that drive and that passion. I think first and foremost we have to radically understand the difference between passion and hype. And um, you know. Passion is something that is internally regulated by the Spirit of God despite what's going on around you. So, it, it's the mm-hmm. same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He lives in us. And that, so, that passion comes from the inside out. Um, hype is what a lot of us have mistaken for passion. So, it, well, hype gives us a certain feeling, man, but, but then you need the next event or the next, whatever it might be, the next whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you all could see Tyler here. He's like, I'm <laughs> down. But it's, it's kind of like, um, and so I think a lot of us, you know, became spiritual junkies. It was like, man, I need a bigger hit. I need a bigger hit. Mm-hmm. Give me the next hit. And who's the next artist? And what's the next biggest song? And what's the next thing that's coming? And what happened with the pandemic? And these last few years, man, hype's not going to get you through. There's not a chance. You're, you're going to have to dig. T- so then a lot of people are like, I've lost my passion. Well, no, what has been revealed is that perhaps what was motivating your Christianity was this outside in thing. And, and I think I talk a lot about this in the book that we've got to learn to dig deep. That That is the difference uh-huh. that um, uh-huh. when that anchor goes down deep, you start going, what's really going on in my heart? The last year or two, probably has not been bigger for any Christian group than Maverick City Music. And a key leader of Maverick City Music is Naomi Rain. This year she released a solo project as well. I mean, they were winning Grammys or filling arenas. Uh, It's just crazy how their music has exploded. And it's, I mean, for good reason. Well, in June, late June, she joined us for episode 978. And um, she was talking about her new song, Not Ready and how it was birthed out of her battle with depression. Here's Naomi Rain. You tell me a little bit about that. You know, what is the song about and where did it come from? Yeah, Not Ready is 
that's my baby right now. <laughs> Not ready is about a time that I'd gone through a depression and I didn't even know I was depressed. Um, but I was, I knew I didn't, I wasn't ready to change. I wasn't ready to do anything, but I knew I wanted to talk to the Lord because this, this is what I do. Like, I'm just always going to talk to him. But I knew that usually when I feel like that, like talking to the Lord, I'm ready to do whatever he tells me to do. But here I realized I'm not ready. I'm not ready to get out of the bed because I knew there were things that I had to do. I was like staying in the bed all day. I was crying. I was waiting until like right before my kids would come home. And then I was popping up and trying to act like everything was normal. I knew that I wasn't ready to stop doing that. But I needed to talk to the Lord. And I felt like even in that moment, you know, people do this all the time. We tell God, we tell God, I don't want to pray or I don't know what to pray. And we're literally, when you, once you're talking to God, you're actually praying, like you're already doing it. But I think that we sometimes think that we have to pray and say certain things and know what to say and be ready to do whatever he says. And the Lord was like, Hey, I don't need you to try to change anything. I just need you to keep talking to me. I'm going to pull you out of this pit. And as I continue to talk to the Lord, that's what happened. And right at the end of that, um, like when I was transitioning and getting out, like the sun was starting to shine again. Um, I was like, hey, I want to write a song about how I feel right now. I want to write an honest song. I don't want to write the song that says, yeah, God, you brought me out of the pit. Like, I don't want to write that one. I want to write the song that's like, man, this pit is really terrible. But accept the fact that you're here, Jesus, with me and like, Thank you for not trying to push me out too fast, that you're allowing me to feel the feelings that I've been afraid to feel for years, that I've been avoiding for years. Everything is coming back and I'm growing and changing and feeling the discomfort of this, but thank you that you're with me. Um, and so that's what the song is about. It's not a, it's not a buttoned up, like put a big bow on it, like Christian song. It's, and it doesn't resolve. It just says, I'm not ready to change. I don't feel good about it. I don't want to pray. Um, but I know, I know I should, <laughs> uh, but I'm not ready to change. And I think that that is um, a message that I think most people can probably relate to. And I think it's why some people don't pray nowadays and don't go to the Lord and feel guilty and ashamed of where they are. But it's like, God wants to be with us. He says he's near to the brokenhearted. Mm. Like this is the God that we serve, you know, a smoldering wick, a wick he won't snuff out. So when you're at your lowest and your worst, he's like, I'm not going to just like get rid of you. That's not the God that we serve. He's with us. He's near. He's close. Finally got a chance to catch my breath, think it over, and even if the pain don't end. In April, on episode 958, we were joined by Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg. We couldn't get the Funky Bunch. They're divas. Their, their show writer was just too too extensive. But uh, Mark Wahlberg joined us. He had a new movie out called Father Stew, which was a passion project for him. And um, so we talked about why he wanted to make that movie. He talks about how it was an opportunity for him to do God's work. Here is Marky Mark without the funky butt. I figured it out. Yeah, seventh time's a charm. I'm being actor. Oh, God. You don't belong with those L.A. folks. They're a bunch of fascist hippies. What brings you here? And I figured no better place to be discovered than the supermarket. Hey, that's what about that story really uh, stuck out to you? What about Father Stu's life stuck out to you? Oh, God, he was just such a colorful character. I mean, uh, all the things that it took him to find his calling. And then um, when he did, how committed he was. And, of course, just knowing that and how I am, 
it certainly posed lots of challenges to me to do better, uh, to be better. So, and, and, you know, I really couldn't find any reason to not make the movie. I mean, it was just all around, um, great opportunity for me to start doing more of God's work as selfishly as an actor. I mean, where do you find a better role, um, to show more range as an actor? I mean, it was, uh, it was kind of like, even though I, I knew it would be an uphill battle to get it made, I knew that it could be very impactful. Tell me a little bit about that when you say it's an uphill battle to get it made. What about this story presents a challenge when you're trying to get something like this put together in Hollywood? Everything. I mean, you try to pitch a movie about a guy who was a fighter, you know, his parents had lost a younger child, didn't know how to cope. Mm-hmm. He goes to L.A. to become an actor, falls in love with a girl, is just trying to manipulate her into a relationship. She manipulates him into getting baptized. He gets run over by a car, not once but twice, and then he sees Mother Mary, and then he decides he wants to become a priest. And then he dies of a rare disease. Tough, tough pitch. It's not like a superhero movie with, you know, he can build a franchise and, you know, they're not seeing like box office here and lots of potential for spinoffs and stuff. But I got that and it was just like, all right, I think, you know, it's one of those things where it's not an easy sell uh, when you're pitching it in the room, but once people see the trailer or they see the TV spots, they're like, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like that before, and it will pique their interest. Um, And then when people want to see it, and then I definitely felt like it was the kind of film that would touch anybody that saw it because there's such universal themes in the movie, right? Especially people dealing with um, the unknown, all the whys of the world, and then, of course, mortality and that being inevitable. Like, how do people handle those things? And to see how Stu handled it, I think people find that very inspiring. Hey, if you like this podcast, but you might like it better if there were no ads, you can do that. Head over to relevantmagazine.com and sign up for Relevant Plus. For just a couple bucks a month, you get this podcast ad-free. You get ad-free unlimited reading at relevantmagazine.com, including the full podcast and magazine archives. Our beautifully designed digital issue and a little more. Uh, Check out all the info right there on the Relevant Plus tab at relevantmagazine.com. In July, we were joined by... I mean, you know him, pastor, author, Chad Veach. Uh, On episode 987, he uh, talked about his new book, which was called Worry About Everything, Pray About Nothing, uh, where Emily asked him, how do you think prayer can specifically help with anxiety? Here's what Chad Veach had to say. Yeah, Yeah, they say it's the number one issue amongst adults in America, right? We're, we're, We're so anxious. We're living in, you know, inflation. We're living in political unrest. We're living, you know, in days where we're having to really address the, the sins of the past as far as racism. We've got a we've got a social media crisis, you know, that's really inundating our minds. We've got um, the great resignation, you know, we're, we're, we're just facing really tough times. And imagine being in the worst place ever mentally, riddled with anxiety, and having the ability for the Prince of Peace himself to come sit with you. That's really the invitation of prayer, mm-hmm. is that, you know, I always think like, again, like so many of us are bad at this, right? Like we're so bad at prayer, and we, so we don't do it. I think if you're riddled with anxiety and you're, you deal with worry and you're not good at prayer, 
start start so simple like this like put a contact in your phone and name it god and just start texting god like text and what i love about prayer too is like it's the time i can be the most vulnerable the most raw the most angry the most disappointed like i don't have to filter my prayers with god like mm-hmm. if you read the book of psalm it is just like this guy is like i cry all night long my bed is drenched with tears mm-hmm. why in the world have you forsaken me like this guy is not playing church games mm-hmm. and i think that's what i love about prayers like i can be like i am mad i am so kicked off i am how did you do this again? like blah 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 and the prince of peace is like all right let's 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 talk about it let's sit mm-hmm. in this let's not blow past this with some cliche christian bumper sticker like let's go through grief let's go through what's ailing you and let me it's the whole thing that isaiah promised like when jesus shows up he'll give you beauty for ashes mm-hmm. and give you a garment of praise for the spirit of happiness heaviness and that's the opportunity that awaits us in prayer so i think yeah it's like worry man i'm raising four kids in la i'm trying to build a church in los angeles we were shut down for 17 months we, we, we live in an expensive city. Our city's known for crime and homelessness. Like what? We're, I could be easily stressed out, but I'm not because I pray for my city and I pray for my children and I pray for my church. I pray over my soul and I got peace, supernatural peace. episode 970 we are joined by Taya uh, she had a solo debut album this year we had a feature with her in our magazine um, extensive conversation well when she joined us on the podcast Emily asked her how she's really like stepping out into the spotlight doing some solo stuff for the first time and um, we got talking to her about stepping out in faith and doing something new and here's what Taya had to say Your debut album is coming out at the end of this month. How are you feeling about that? It's kind of surreal, like to to have worked on something for, you know, just over two years um, and mostly on Zoom. Yeah, so it's 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 crazy. You know, the third single just came out mm-hmm. um, on Friday and um, it's, I think I needed the time, which again, I think is God's kindness to me. Cause if it had been like a short process, I probably would have been like a nervous wreck, just like, Oh gosh, like <laughs> people hearing my melodies and words for the first time. So I think with it being just over two years, maybe God was like, now I'm like, let's just get it out. Like, let's see what people think. And it's okay either way. Cause I know that that's more God's territory. You know, what happens after you release it? My job was just to be a good steward with what I felt he was asking of me. And, um, it's been a sh- very stretching season learning how to carry something, you know, I hadn't been a part of a full album process, like the mixing and the mastering. Mm-hmm. And even when you decide something's finished, do you love everything, you know, um, and having like a critical eye, you know, looking at those kind of things. But, um, 
but it's been amazing. It's yeah. Even if, even if it was just, if it was just this one, like what a, what a joy to get to learn how to steward something and be, be pumped with, with what, you know, what this offering is and, and being able to say, I stand behind every word and every melody and lyric and just praying that it would minister to people. I won't On episode 973 in June, uh, we were joined by probably one of the most influential people in Hollywood, I would say, filmmaker, actor, director, uh, writer, John Favreau. Uh, John Favreau, I mean, I've been a fan since back in the swingers, you know, like his one of his first indie films. Um, Obviously, he's done some amazing stuff over the years. I like it more of his indie stuff like Chef and all that. you know, but he did Marvel <laughs> and he's done The Mandalorian. And he, I mean, the dude's brilliant and prolific. It's insane. Um, he had a new series called Prehistoric Planet on Apple TV. And uh, he came on to talk about why Prehistoric Planet is so different than what most people's vision of dinosaurs is. Here's John Favreau. I go to the. Um the monomyth and the mythological aspects of it. There are certain things when you're designing creatures from scratch even that everybody continues to be drawn to. And I think just as you could take a cat that's never seen another animal and you could put it in a room with a mouse, it reacts in a certain way. And I think that our firmware has a deep, deep, deep understanding of predators that date back to when we were, you know, first standing upright in the fields. And the animals that we had to understand were predators and it was baked deeply into us to be afraid of. And it tends to be grouped into certain categories like birds and eagles or snakes or bears, things with teeth, things with claws, predators, apex predators that are mid-level. You know, we were we were not apex predators when we evolved and we have still inherited that hardware. You know, we just happen to develop larger brains and happen to really cooperate well. But other than that cooperation, we don't really stand a chance against most, most creatures out there. And when you see a dinosaur for the first time as a child and you see what it is, and you see those teeth and you see that T-Rex in the museum and you look up at it, it hits something deep in you. Just for the same reason we're fascinated with lions and the big cats because it's baked into us and all of the stories that have developed over the years this all predates uh so i think that that's why that's why people jump to them immediately that just the and then the sense that these may have really existed and what would it be like if you found yourself in proximity with them i think it's fascinating September on episode 998, right before the thousandth, we we're joined by TD Jakes, um, man, hero in the faith. Uh, I, I've I've actually known TD. My parents were friends with him when I was in high school, so I've kind of been a fan of his teaching. Sat under his teaching for years. I mean, even before he moved to Dallas. I mean. I go back with T.D. Jakes. Um, and if you don't follow him on IG, follow him on IG. Man, those T.D. Jakes clips in your feed, it's just like coming up for air sometimes. It's awesome. Inspiring. 
Uh, well, anyway, he came on in September, and Emily had a conversation with him about women in leadership in the church. And, you know, obviously, Emily was talking about how she's observed a lot of change um, over, you know, over the years, but that there's a long way to go. And she asked, well, do you agree with that? And how can the church continue to support women in ministry? Here's what T.D. Jakes had to say. Of course, I think there's a, there's a way ways to go. It's kind of like the civil rights movement. We're not there yet. Uh, there's still disparities in, in the pay scale for women in the workplace. That, that, that there, there's often a disparity between what a woman gets paid doing the same job that a man does. And there's still a disparity over the amount of CEOs that, that we have in high positions and corporations that are women. Uh, there are a lot of disparities when it comes to access to capital for entrepreneurship that still needs to be addressed. There's a lot to be done. And even in the church, uh, there are things that need to be done where, where women are taken seriously uh, in ministry, where they're taken seriously and not prohibited in the roles that they can play uh, in the churches that they have contributed to historically. And if all the women left the church, many churches would collapse. Uh, and so, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Uh, to not recognize them and, and, and to somehow find a justification to discriminate from the very people who have been the lifeblood of the church historically, uh, at least something to be desired. And and so, Mormon I Loose really nailed a message in, 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 into the heart of the culture and to the heart of the church that women mattered and their their pains and frustrations and, and heartaches were, were often justified and that there was a place to be healed and a, and a place to be challenged. And I think those are two different things uh, between healed and wholeness. It's one thing to be healed, it's another thing to be made whole. And so uh, the first objective was to create a space for for them to be healed from the trauma of, of their history and, and and society and culture and 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 religion has often been complicit in that whole process. And then to go from heels to wholeness is to how do I find my place uh, in, in the world that is evolving and opening up new opportunities. With it comes new stress and new pressures and new demands. Mm -hmm. Anytime you're breaking through glass ceilings, uh, you're, you're held to different standards. Uh, uh, you're not seen as an individual, you're seen as a gender, and you're, you're not, uh, uh, your own marriage don't come to play, but they will categorize you in a group. So that's how women are, that's how, that sort of thing. They have to overcome all the kinds of things that any minority does that emerges. So this was for us one of the highlights of the year for years and years. Our favorite thing to do at Relevant. I mean, we like rubbing the cat's hair the wrong way. We like asking big questions. We like challenging status quo, all that stuff. We like inspiring people to change their worlds for Christ. We, we, you know, be change agents in the church, all that stuff. But one of our favorite things to do is talk about or talk to people who are shaping culture who are on the national stage and they have a significant faith experience. They have a conversion experience or 
their faith has really been a key part of their work and stuff. And this isn't stuff that's relegated to the Christian bubble, but this is stuff that's influencing culture. Well, this year, one of our favorite artists, who's been one of the coolest artists in a decade, MIA, joined us. And this was the first time she talked openly and extensively about her conversion to Christianity that's happened over the last five years. It was the most fascinating, transparent, eye-opening conversation we've had like this in years. She's a cover of our fall issue, and we brought some of that conversation here on the podcast. This is MIA talking about her conversion experience and how she can connect her new relationship with Jesus with her career. Here's MIA. I think it's interesting when uh, when creative people who artists I admire start uh, veering into spirituality, faith and spirituality, that's just really interesting to me. So I was curious to see if you would tell us a little more about your experience and, and what that is, what that has meant. I was comfortable and I was well off and all of these things. Uh, and I don't consider myself as somebody that even, I, I didn't even believe that Christianity is real, you know. I thought it was a way newer religion for Hinduism and and I was like it, it's just sort of it just didn't really interest me you know but something happened an incident happened where I didn't pray or call on God but I was in a place of need and 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 I literally got saved like in a very physical sense and and I think that's what it is like when you need saving the person who turns up no matter who you are no matter what religion or no matter what status or what you are if you are in need and you need saving the person who turns up to save you is jesus because that is what he's known for got a ticket for the city that's Well, literally last night I was watching The Office. (laughs) I'm a big fan of this guest back in June on episode 979, Rain Wilson, Dwight Schrute. He probably doesn't want to be known as Dwight anymore, but Rain Wilson joined us. He had a new movie coming out called Jerry and Marge Go Large, a great indie flick. And uh, he joined us to talk about that and why that story needed to be told. Here is Dwight Schrute. Jerry, you're going to have to tell me what's going on. I was always good with math, codes, puzzles, you name it, but I just feel like I never got to be a part of the world. I found this flaw. There's a loophole that the lottery didn't see. It's right here in the math. I don't know what this says. It looks like the numbers of crazy man drew in a cell wall. I cannot believe you are my accountant. I'm playing the lottery, and I won $15,000. Why didn't you just tell me? We barely have enough money to retire on. This is no time to risk it. Yes, it is. What? Can I help you? We'd like to buy 8,000 windfall tickets. I'm going to help you first. One of the first things I wanted to talk to Rain about was kind of why he thought this movie was a story that needed to be told. Because, uh, you know, I don't want to give away the plot, but uh, I personally was really surprised in a great way at 
how the movie touched on selflessness and helping your community. Um, and it was just, it was a lot more generous. Uh, the couple was than I, I initially knew I didn't, I went into this not knowing anything about them. And so it was just a really heartwarming story that I wasn't prepared for it to tug on my heartstrings the way that it was. And so I really wanted to know why rain was drawn to this story and kind of why he felt like of all the movies in the world and all the stories being told, why was this one that people needed to see and needed to pay closer attention to? Well, I think that we live in such a hyper-partisan world and things are so divided. Um, You know, every issue has kind of like a red state and a blue state take on it. And this transcends that. This is like the best of being American. It's generosity. It's about community. It's about giving back. It's doing it with a, with kind of a big warm heart. And so as soon as I read that in the script, I wanted to be a part of it. And, uh, was really, uh, really excited to help tell that story. It's kind of, uh, it's really what America needs right now. Uh, like I said, you know, this movie definitely tugs on the heartstrings, but it's also got so many great funny moments. And truthfully, most of the funny moments come from Rain's role as Bill. I kept laughing at his line specifically. They were just so funny. And it was interesting because I grew up watching The Office. We all know Rain from... Uh, Dwight, obviously. Uh, and so I wanted to know, you know, it'd been a long time since he'd played a comedy role. So out of all the roles that I'm sure he's been offered over the years, what was it about this role that drew him back to, you know, his comedic roots? And why why was this the one that he decided, yes, I'm going to be the comic relief? Well, I uh, I was I read the script. and I was like, oh, I would be the comic relief. And that was very appealing to me. I hadn't really done a in a straight up comedic role, uh, since the office, um, most of the stuff I've been doing have been drama or, or at least dramedy. And so I was excited to just jump in and improvise and be my big, weird, goofy self, uh, in a totally new way. This was not in a, um, he's not like Dwight at all, Bill. And, uh, it was just a hell of a lot of fun. Truthfully, when I went into this conversation, I was not prepared to bring up Dwight at all. And so once he did, I took that as fair game. So uh, I did get to ask him what he thought Dwight might be doing if he found out he could hack the lottery. Yeah, I think uh, Dwight hacking the lottery would be a lot of fun. That sounds like a a very (laughs) interesting office spinoff. Dwight with millions of dollars. Like, what what would he do, you know, if he had a a helicopter or a private jet or a, you know, a bodyguard, (laughs) um, the sky's the limit. That would be, that would be a lot of fun. My final question that I asked rain was, you know, what was it like to play this real character? Um, and to tell a true story. Cause you know, we know him as Dwight from the office, like I mentioned. And while that is sort of rooted in truth, you know, we all know someone like Dwight. This is a character who is real and is genuine and, has an actual background and history and things like that. And so I was really curious, you know, what is that like to step into the role of a real person rather than someone that you maybe have a little bit more artistic freedom with and kind of what's the responsibility between taking on a real life person as opposed to just a made up character? Well, I don't know that the character of Bill really existed. I I don't think so. He was kind of created. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think it's important to the story that it feel real and feel grounded. It's a comedy, it's light, it's warm-hearted, but 
this really happened and these are real people. And, um, and I think that, that gives the film a little more heft. If you just went in and it was just a made up movie about people winning the lottery, you'd be like, first of all, you wouldn't believe it. Um, <laughs> and you know, truth is stranger than fiction in this way, but, uh, you know, that grounds the film, uh, in an, in an interesting way. Well, talking about heroes with faith, man, our next guest, Tim Keller, joined us just earlier this month on December 1st, episode 1022. Uh, He he has a new book out called Forgiveness, Why Should I and How Can I? And uh, we got talking to him about why he thinks forgiveness and justice should run hand in hand. Here's the legend, hero, Tim Keller. Forgiveness is not the opposite of doing justice um that actually forgiveness is not only a, not a contradiction of doing of pursuing justice it's actually a precondition for pursuing justice because if you don't forgive before you start to pursue justice you'll actually be pursuing vengeance mm. um you know the, the bible has uh, there's a, a a statement in the bible that's called it's called the lex talionis uh which is a uh, and, you know, a tooth for a tooth. You've heard that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, in the reason why that's a that was a legal rule, a tooth for a tooth, is see if somebody actually knocks your tooth out, comes up to you and knocks your tooth out, you don't want to turn around and just knock out their one tooth. You want to <laughs> yeah. you want to knock all their teeth yes. out <laughs> because vengeance almost always goes beyond mm-hmm. justice. It uh, you want the person to suffer, you want the person to hurt. In fact. You usually want them to hurt a little more than you were hurt because they started it. And so two things about vengeance. Vengeance is always goes beyond justice. Well, I'll say three things about it. It tends to usually go beyond what justice requires. Number two, it uh, it very seldom really is successful because vengeance is easy to see. So if you're going after a perpetrator and you're trying to really just make that person suffer, that person is not going to respond well to you. They're not going to repent. They're not going to admit they're wrong. They're going to see that it's a vendetta and they're just going to, you know, get their back up or even retaliate. And last of all, uh, vengeance eats you up with anger. I mean, it just consumes you. And what you ought to do is you ought to get control of that anger by forgiving and then go pursue justice. And then you will do it well you will do it in a just way and a big part of the difference between vengeance and justice is motivation that's the last thing i'll tell you here on this one see why do i want justice you know why do i want that person to admit they are wrong and maybe have some consequences and uh i could be doing this for god's sake because god is a just god i could be doing it for even the perpetrator's sake because it's it would be great to see that person change so that they don't do this again. I could be doing it for the sake of other victims so that nobody else gets hurt. So I could be doing it for justice's sake, God's sake, the victim's sake, the perpetrator's sake. But in vengeance, you're doing it for your sake. It's really all about you. It's very self-absorbed. Um, you hide behind the idea of justice, but what you're really after is I want this person to suffer at least as much as they made me suffer. And and therefore, uh, forgiveness is changing your motives, getting uh, getting control of that, and therefore making it possible for you to actually pursue justice. It's not the opposite. It's not like if I forgive, I can't pursue justice. Who says that? Why? 
that's not in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Doesn't say you can't pursue justice. So that's really important because you are absolutely right, Emily. That that the average younger adult sees uh, forgiveness as meaning I I don't bring it up. I can't talk to the. I can't say anything about it anymore. And that's I don't think that's what you see in the Bible at all. I don't think that's really how it's defined. Last month on episode 1014, we're joined by probably the biggest name in Christian hip hop. I mean, this guy changed the game and still is. And he put out a huge album this fall, uh, Church Closed 4. This is kind of his iconic series that he's been doing, put him on the map. We talked to Lecrae about how he's determined to use his voice for the better good. The question he's answering here was, what's the secret to staying true to yourself? Here's what Lecrae had to say. Uh, a, a lot of that has to do with having good good friends, right? Like, and my friends are very thoughtful, very caring, and it's taking time to cultivate those relationships. But, you know, we'll, we'll sit around and, you know, have conversations or studies and, and they'll make it a point to say, hey, I want to celebrate this aspect of you because everyone's always celebrating your music and your accolades, but there's other aspects of you outside of music that I think you need to know we see and we appreciate. And, and that challenges me to be my real self because there's people who see those sides of me and who value them. And so I don't have to worry when the rest of the world can't see the nuance and can't appreciate it or comes at me sideways because of something, because there are people who see me on a regular basis and they, you know, they're, they're comfortable sharing with me. Like we don't like this <laughs> or they're comfortable sharing with me. Like this is a good character quality. And uh, those are the voices that really matter. So it helps me to just stay on, on point. All right. And finally, finally, man, the most expensive TV show of all time, when it launched, had to come on the relevant podcast. Um, the uh, Rings of Power on Amazon, uh, the Lord of the Rings series. Seriously, most expensive show ever made. Uh, Morfid Clark joined us. The whole cast joined us, but this clip is of the conversation with Morfid Clark. And it happened in, uh, Let's see, October on episode 1009. Here's Morfid Clark talking about all things Tolkien and the importance of living with truth and morals. Ours was no chance meeting. Not fate. Nor destiny. Ours was the work of something greater. Um, I, I was wondering about some of the the pressure that you might have felt knowing how many people have so many just enormous expectations and preconceived ideas about what this story is going to be like and what these characters are going to be like and how you balanced that with uh, wanting to meet those expectations, but also wanting to do something new and, and creative that comes from inside and, and how that all worked out for you. I have a group of friends that I've been friends with since like... Um, nursery and for years and years we've met up once a year and watched all three films together and um, 
they are they have extreme expectations and ideas about how this show should be and that's kind of what it is to be part of a um something that's beloved and has been kind of part of our culture for like 70 years now isn't it yeah um so it's kind of it's part and parcel of it and um as a fan myself like i'm a big horror fan and a big fantasy fan and i think part of the things that make those genres so interesting is the discourse and that discourse can be had in a really respectful and lovely way choose not the path of fear but that of faith i want to ask about a line from the pilot and you'll have to forgive me because i i thought i had written it down and uh and now i can't find it but it, but it was one of the last lines in the episode and it's the line that uh Galadriel's brother says to her when she asks how can we tell the lightness from the darkness and i believe it's something like sometimes we have to touch the darkness first to know or that's not quite right could you maybe unpack a little bit of, of what that means because it feels like it's a very core part of what this show is going to be yeah i i I like that quote, which I am now also not going to be able to remember exactly. Um, but to first, to first know the light, you have to touch the darkness. And I think what I really love about that line is that I think it touches on what Tolkien talks about a lot, which is humility and knowing the limits of yourself. Um, and I think we do learn through mistakes. You can't go through life thinking you're going to be perfect. You've got to go through life seeing when you did things wrong and taking accountability for that and moving forward in a different way and i think that's why um you know that's why kind of faramir i feel that tolkien absolutely loved faramir because he knew that he should never touch the ring um com he completely knew himself um so yeah i was really excited when i kind of read that because it it, it seemed to embody a lot of what i see as like tolkien's all I can think of is the word vibe, which isn't. <laughs> All right, well, that does it for the highlights. You know how hard it was to find, <laughs> to whittle down a hundred or so episodes down to just those those moments it, it was a lot of work there was a lot to choose from obviously we know a lot of you guys listen mainly just for the cast conversation and stuff like that and like the guests are um almost like secondary or just like a bonus um and that's great we love hanging out with you guys and we love that you guys love hanging out with us um but I wanted to, we wanted to highlight these moments because there were so many significant conversations that actually happened this year. Uh, not just laughs, not just the fun with the cast, but um, some really substantive things happened. Some amazing people joined us and we were honored that they, that they did. And we just wanted to shine a spotlight on some of those moments. Maybe we can go back and listen to some of those full conversations. Uh, it's well worth your while. All right. Well, at the beginning of the show, I mentioned I was going to tee up what's coming in 2023. Um, okay. Now, I will admit this. I'm a huge asterisk at the front of this. Over the years, the 22 years I've been doing Relevant, um, I have a, a, a habit of taking what's in our staff planning meetings and on our whiteboard and in motion and announcing it publicly. And then plans change or, or launch dates change and it's been egg on my face a few times. Um, and so I will give you a little behind the scenes about what's coming up. Okay, first of all, this was a. This has been a really tough couple years for us. I mentioned on the last podcast that it was a tough year for me personally, but 
it's been a tough year for business, for media. I mean, obviously everything changed around COVID. We put our print magazine on hiatus. We've been trying to just keep our heads above water and kind of like figure out what the horizon looks like for independent media companies like us and how to how to create a new era of impact. And, you know, really honestly, I'll just be honest, what we used to do, we're not doing anymore. Things changed. And so for me, for a couple of years, it was just like survival mode. And the way I'm wired is I'm about what's next. I'm about like, what can we do? I need, I need a project to be excited about. And when you're just in survival mode and you're just focused on treading water, that's a really tough era for me, right? And relevance not relevant when we're in that kind of mode. So for the last six months, we've been intentionally shedding that season and preparing and laying a new foundation for a very different 2023 and beyond. Uh, I'm very excited about it. Um, we are correcting a lot of mistakes. Uh, we are uh, getting back on track with things that had gotten off track. Um, we have brought in new team members to help elevate some things in certain areas, and we're very excited about that. Um, and going into 2023, we have some big plans. So you're going to see some changes on the website. You're going to see some changes in our daily publishing, some new, some expansion. You're going to see some changes with the magazine and the print experience of the magazine. Um, uh, we, we made some mistakes in the transition, uh, with the magazine and, uh, we're going to correct, we're correcting those. And, uh, in January, uh, we're going to get on the back on track and some new stuff. You're going to see that. But the big thing you're going to see, you're the podcast audience, is that we have plans to launch nine new shows this year. Now, are we going to get all nine launched? Hopefully. If we launch five or six, that's more likely, right? But we have plans for nine new shows. We have new personalities joining the crew. We have new producers, some new things. I mean, like, so if you like the humor stuff, more of that. If you like the deep substantive faith conversations, more of that. If you like the culture stuff and curation stuff, more of that. If you like justice stuff, more of that. Like the podcast going deeper into the different things that Relevant has always kind of touched on. When we launch all those new shows, there will be a natural evolution of this show, the main show. Um, we're going to have a little bit more fun. I'll just say it that way. It's going to be a lot of fun. So I can't wait for y'all to see what we're working on. And this isn't just like, oh, it's on a whiteboard and we hope that it's happening. This is in motion. And... <sighs> See, I'm not going to say a date. <laughs> I'm not going to say a date. I want to so bad. I want to tell you when some new stuff is launching, but I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I promised the team I wouldn't do it. So anyway, that's what's coming. A lot of new. A lot of new. A lot of new. And I cannot wait for you to see it. I want to thank y'all. I want to thank y'all for sticking with us. I want to thank y'all for being part of this over the last, well, for us, 20 years, this podcast, 17 years. Um, but I know a lot of you guys are fairly new to the show. I mean, I would say most most of the ones that we hear from are, well, I've been listening for the last year or two. That's awesome. Welcome. Um, now go to the archives on our website and catch up, right? There's a lot of shows that back there. A lot of good stuff happened. Um, but I want to thank y'all for sticking with us. Um, this is the highlight of my week. And I, you know, I'll just be honest with you. A lot of the changes we're making, it was kind of like, let's lean into that. I'm going to chase that feeling more. If we love doing this podcast, let's do more of that. And so that's kind of where we're leaning moving forward. And I can't wait to give y'all more of what you want from Relevant. So uh, you'll also be seeing a lot more on social media with us. 
obviously those podcasts will just turn into video clips and uh, there's gonna be a lot more on TikTok. We're gonna be doing anyway we have a lot in motion it's gonna be a lot of fun i can't wait to have fun again with you guys all right well thank you for an amazing year we've crossed a thousand episodes it was a landmark moment not many shows get the chance to do that uh, or have had the chance to do that yet um we're ogs still doing it still having a good time and uh looking forward to all the new stuff in the new year i hope you guys have a blessed new year i hope your 2023 is incredible um I really honestly truly feel the best is yet to come. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Now, don't, 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 don't hit stop. You know what's coming. All right. Have a good one. We'll see you in the new year. Thanks for listening to the relevant podcast. Check out our features, interviews, and news updates every day at RelevantMagazine.com. And make sure to follow Relevant on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest. For more great podcasts, browse the shows on the Relevant Podcast Network, which you can find at our site. And while you're there, don't miss the all-new era of Relevant Magazine. A new issue releases every other month at RelevantMagazine.com. Coco, I'm not going to lie. It, it's lasted about 975 more episodes than I thought it would after we recorded our first one. I'm going to throw to the spot, not to you. Just get there. All right. Hey, hey. Clearly see the purse lips of someone who is in the, the follow through of a good spitting. Listen, do I eat nachos all the time? Yeah, I eat nachos all the time. All of the time. At first, I actually thought they were rinsing buckets next door. I just thought they got a lot of buckets to clean out. But no, it's, it's floor sanding. Hope you got a puzzle drawer. <laughs> Otherwise, buy a Tesla. I challenge all scientists, dedicate your life to research that just encourages people to eat garbage. And I like the thrill of the indoor fire. I like that it feels incredibly unsafe. Just one sec. Ah, no, he's got a gun. Listen, I'm interested. I'm interested in whatever people want to send in. Okay, dude, you'd be surprised. A six roll of duct tape. You can you can duct tape a grown man into a room. There's always a flight suit and a cowboy hat stuffed in the back of the closet that you forgot was even there. We got to figure something out with the paper straw situation. Okay, the dry, almost flavorless meat, and it looks like someone in, in the in the kitchen stepped on it. That one feels a little a little sacrilegious, but it's okay. Let's keep going. I want to be down by the boiler room with the working man, okay? The, the Rock's working out like four times a day. <laughs> Would your Uber driver actually be riding a pedal tavern? <laughs> how, much, how much science are they doing that they got to live there? I have no way of verifying that, so don't sue me, CVS. It's a theory. Here's the smell of being on the run from the law. <laughs> and don't worry about blood pressure. Only old people worry about blood pressure. It's like the Peloton instructor of water bottles. Wonder if we can make some blue tape you can eat. I'm pretty sure the primary ingredient in my soda or whatever is water. I need to get on Facebook and watch some crazy relatives argue about politics to de-stress right now. Hey, don't let perfect be the enemy of just fine, okay? Well, to be honest with you, Jack Daniels and Twizzlers for 35 years. Trust me, I likely don't have this.
Just another thing wrong with this pandemic. You can't even have a cathartic burp anymore. <laughs> You're not gonna believe it! We're upgrading sell, sell, sell! Tyler will take you to places like an artisan pickle truck. Does Joe Exotic come with tigers? BTW, I was in a weird cult. You started off by making me hungry, and soon I was nauseous and quite disturbed. I got a storage unit full of dire circumstances if uh, you need a backup. What if you're the monkey bartender? What are you making him? He killed a hundred bad guys to get to this guy? Farty Jones carried the name to high school. This witch got an itch. That's why I moved. Okay, Greg? Well, you know what you can do with your sermonos. Beep, 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 beep. We're going to need to take a beat. I did say heavenly farts. Allow me to break down the word silly first. Three chicken tenders, buffalo sauce, extra buffalo. I'm fine going back to sexy vampires. I'm fine with sexy werewolves, frankly. The only exception we'll make is Yoo-Hoo. Oh, it is. It is very strange. Yeah, I mean, one time a guy got shot over there. Don't He lived, though. It was not a big thing. Whenever I go out with you guys, I'm going to be like, oh, no, no. This person only gets three pieces of candy. That's what they said. That's a normal intake. So we would soak a three-pack of tennis balls in gasoline. All I need is a, like a little break, like 17 years. I'll catch Oh, we don't know how many rogue Kmarts are just operating in the wild. Life without parole. <laughs> All of a sudden, you find yourself in a Mr. Beast prank. The agent's going to do you in with that blade by the end of this podcast. I ate spiders that taste like Cheetos. Hello, hello. I do not want turn of the century dentistry. That's straight up a nightmare. I got like six Oreo inventions alone, okay? Oh, it's such a tragedy about Kitty Perry. He got slime blasted to death. Ow! Space wizard! Bloody axe! Christmas wreath! Well, I just got cruised. He just dropped a cruise missile on me. <laughs> just a jug of socks. I'm excited to come to you on your local NPR station from the latest podcast, From Heaven. I had my own vacation to Italy in the form of a meatball sub. Virginia's for lovers. Someone left the gate open. Horse Olympics have turned tragic. Everyone on Earth just drink insane amounts of milk and maybe we'll all get through this. I'll say this is very expensive to truck all these lovers in. It got desperate. I had to sneak in in a Tigger costume. <laughs> this is terrible, but I'm doing my part. You're forwarder. 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 The rural juror. The rural juror. You know, it's a family place, but only fun families. But first, this segment's brought to you by Jan's Buttermilk Biscuits. Pretty sure the pigs are pretty stoked about this development. What's going on here? It is anarchy. I will have the greatest nose in the history of humanity. It was already sort of congealing into the bottom layer of pastrami at that point. They've got bowling alleys and stuff, so if they want to keep me there, it's not that bad. Come for the teaching, stay for the ball pit. Too big up there. Too big. Not interested. Relevant Podcast Network.